0: Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends. Yes, it's Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast. My name is Arthur Coldwells. In this week's first segment, Associate Editor TJ Adams headed off to Oceanside in California to try out the all-new Kawasaki Eliminator. This cruiser-style motorcycle is perhaps even a little more pro-street than cruiser, and TJ gives us her take on who this motorcycle is aimed at, and how she felt it performed. In the second segment, TJ chats with Dale Schmidgen. Dale has been around racing and the motorcycle industry for several decades now, and he has the inside track on some pretty interesting stuff. He recently moved to Thailand for work, but has clearly fallen in love with the country and its people. Sure, we've all heard stories about the bars and the night spots and the amazing beaches, but there's a lot more to Thailand than just that. The motorcycle culture, and especially racing, is absolutely enormous in Thailand, and Dale's stories about the country and its sights make the place sound very appealing indeed. So, from all of us here at Motos and Friends, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the 2024 Kawasaki Eliminator, is that right?
1: It is right, yes. I rode this um, a few days ago around the area of Oceanside, California, which is beautiful. And I was very excited to ride this bike. I know I say that every time, but in particular, this motorcycle, because I had owned an Eliminator probably about six years ago. I think it was a 2012 and it was a cruiser with flames on and very sort of a committed, laid-back look. Um, anyway, I wasn't disappointed. The 2024 Kawasaki Eliminator is completely different <laughs> looking, but it still has many nods to the retro style.
0: The I, I remember your Eliminator that you had in Australia. The flames were a custom paint job, weren't they?
1: Actually, yes, that's true.
0: Okay. Uh, it looked really good, I have to say. The thing I liked about it is it looked bigger than, than it It was a 250, but it actually looked like a full-size motorcycle. It really looked like a substantial bike. It
1: did. It did. It looked much bigger. Yeah. Um, and the same is of the 2024 Eliminator. It's a 450, actually, 451cc engine, um, but it does look bigger. Uh, and I spoke to people when I was out riding... Asking them, you know, what they thought of it. Lay people <laughs> wandering along at the beach, and they thought I was riding an eight hundred cc bike. And really? Some were guessing, yeah. Wow. Well, so,
0: yeah, it does look. It, it looks really good. Um, what sort of engine is in that? It's is it a parallel twin? I
1: think it is. Yeah, it's an inline twin. Okay. So it's aimed at new riders, and I think they've really hit the mark here. In particular, because. It's low and you have options to go lower. So when you buy this motorcycle standard, it's almost 29 inches and I'm a 30 inch inseam. So it was perfect. Um, but you can actually order an inch lower or an inch higher if you like. So that was really interesting. But, you know, the low seat gives gives uh, new riders confidence because they can touch the ground and move around.
0: OK, so... That's that's really good. I mean, and, and obviously the weight is carried low. So how did the bike feel when you first, you know, threw a leg over it?
1: It's great. It's so um, unintimidating, if that is, is a word. Sure. I really felt that I could uh, just get going easily, and I did. So as you, as you do ride away, of course, you, you feel confident because the weight is down low. It's not a heavy bike either. It's under 400 pounds, so... Um, you don't have any struggle you can get upright you can get the side stand up and get going really easily
0: that's that's quite impressive at being as light as that so the controls on it the foot controls are they forward controls or are they more mid controls
1: they're more mid controls
0: okay so that's got to help with with it being easy to to ride as well so when you're you're flat footing on the ground You don't have to stretch your feet forward when you pull away.
1: That's right. Beginners
0: are going to feel a lot more comfortable. They can just lift their feet off the ground and put them straight on the pegs.
1: Yes, you don't get unbalanced sort of trying to find the foot uh, foot pegs when they're further forward. Okay. So it's closer to a a naked upright sport bike rather than a a full-on cruiser.
0: So what did the engine feel like? I mean, 450 is actually is decent. I mean, you know, they have the, the 400 Ninja, which is actually quite a quite a potent little motor. So did, did it feel like it was lacking or was there plenty there?
1: Uh, it wasn't lacking at all. There was uh, definitely plenty there. Um, riding fast, pulling onto the freeway, you certainly have plenty of power to get going and catch up with the traffic. And even on the freeway, you don't feel left behind. Um, it has got quite a bit of pull, so you're not sort of feeling like you need to kick down a few gears to get going. It does, you know, pick up on its own. So you can get past out of sticky situations, get past traffic. And I really enjoyed it because it's got a nice engine tone and even though it's not a big motorcycle, it does feel big enough. Yeah, okay. I loved it. And so we we did go on the freeway. It's got great rear view vision from the mirrors. They're sort of again old fashioned as you like as for want of a better word. So they're sort of on the stems, round mirrors. Um, so you've got plenty that you can see out back no vibration at all you didn't get anything happening that you know put you off like that
0: that's very cool and you were able to keep up with the traffic on the on the freeway
1: yeah that was easy yes easy to do
0: how was the uh the the clutch if it's aimed at beginners you need a user-friendly clutch and a nice smooth gearbox Kawasaki traditionally have always had very good gearboxes so how did that feel was did it did it feel user-friendly as well yeah
1: it was awesome yes it's a slip and assist clutch which is great for new riders so you don't get oh, any yeah. jerking at all okay yeah it's good if you're a complete beginner a real novice it, it's fantastic so you have a six-speed transmission um so there are smooth gear shifts and and it's easy to control um very light no strain on your hand um in addition to that when you stop at traffic lights and that sort of thing. Um the Kawasakis, you know, have a have a neutral finder, which means that you can stop if you're in first gear you just go straight up into neutral. You never sort of miss it and go up to second, it just takes you straight to neutral so you don't have to worry about finding neutral.
0: Yeah, so the neutral finder is a is a real bonus. It they are they are really cool. It's a great idea
1: it yes, works well. Yeah. Yes, I'd be happy to put a learner rider on this bike. Yeah, it's excellent.
0: Okay. All right, in terms of handling um, the, the suspension, I take it the suspension is, doesn't have too much adjustment to it. It's probably sort of.
1: No, you have some adjustment at the rear. It's got twin shocks, so it has a nice, okay. again, that's part of the retro styling. It has that kind of old fashioned look. Uh, I did feel some bumps, but it wasn't horrendously uncomfortable. Right. It's just not, the, the uh, shocks are not that fancy. But it handles really well it goes where you want it to go it feels nice and low so it gives you confidence um we can lane split here in california so you know if you need to get up to the front of the traffic you know it's it's very easy to maneuver in and out of traffic a good sort of city bike um we we did encounter a fair old bit stop starting what have you which was also helped by the light clutch and uh yeah i really um didn't find it a hassle at all going in and out of traffic
0: that implies you know the riding position the handlebars are they sort of big you know sort of pull back bars or are they relatively flat sort of shoulder width what sort of ergonomics well, I, are there on
1: the yeah bike? i would describe them as um they're they're back slightly but that makes them comfortable my arms were slightly bent um, okay. so i felt i had control and you're in an upright seating position it's as though you're sort of sitting in a chair okay um but
0: you're not reclined backwards though
1: no not at all no are
0: you inclined forwards a little bit
1: no you're just kind of upright really okay um and the seat has a sort of snugly supportive um scoop it sort of molds around you a little bit so you know that helps to make you feel comfortable and and safe okay you're not sort of uh slipping around at all Okay. I mean, yeah. I rode the SE and that does have a slight pattern on the seat, so maybe that helps with the grip as well.
0: Right. What's the difference between the SE and the S?
1: The SE comes with a standard cowl around the headlight, which is Oh, nice. Yeah, which is really tasty looking. That's really cool. Um it has also a USB charger on the handlebars. So, oh, okay. yeah, if you've got your phone with you, that you know that's a real boon. Um you know, for looking at maps and listening to music and that sort of thing. It has fork gaiters, and that sort of finishes off the look nicely.
0: OK, so it's a, it's a little different. It sounds like a nice upright sort of motorcycle with, with nothing too radical going on that's got this cruiser styling that's easy to ride, so you can lane split if you want. If it had a little cowl on it on the SE, what was the wind blast like on the freeway? Presumably that helped, I would think
1: certainly i didn't get a lot of wind blasts it's comfortable um you know wind must be directed past your body it didn't i didn't feel it buffeting me around at all it does have extra um rubber mountings on the for the foot pegs and under the seat and that's another thing that eliminates to use the word eliminates any vibration (laughs) (laughs) so so um, it's really smooth very smooth yes yeah excellent Um, The SE also, while I mention it, comes with ABS as standard or as stock, whereas when you you buy the other less expensive models, you have an option.
0: To leave the ABS off? Yeah. Which I would not recommend.
1: No, especially if you're a learner. I think having ABS is a real safety feature.
0: Big time. The only time it's really worth buying a motorcycle without ABS is if you're riding on track. And there are... And even then, on ABS, there are lots of people that that can benefit from ABS on the track. But but seriously skilled guys, if you're capable of taking the the tire to the limit on the brakes, you don't want ABS interfering. But you know that's a pretty pretty rarefied level if you're able to do that.
1: And the price on that SE is seven thousand two hundred fifty nine.
0: So that's very reasonable.
1: I think so. I mean, it, it's you know, it's doesn't mean that everyone can afford it, but I think you do get the extra safety feature of the ABS as standard, sure. so it's worth you know stretching for that if you can. I would say. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's a fantastic color as well.
0: Yeah. What was that? That was the the orange. You you had the yeah, two tones. Yeah, it's an yeah.
1: orange with the contrasting black, and um, okay. they call it candy steel furnace orange with ebony.
0: Nice. Um, what were the brakes like on it? since we're talking about ABS, did the brakes have plenty of power or were they a bit spongy?
1: No, they were great. Um they weren't jerky at all, you know, you, you give you a little squeeze until you bite, um, and then they come in very smoothly but but definitely strong enough. Um it's a, a disc brake at the front, um with a wide front tire which also helps with the braking. Sure. You can apply the brakes and you get a really strong feel. I don't use the back very much, so <laughs> <I>
0: couldn't say. <laughs> Excellent. So one of the things um, I've noticed about the new Kawasaki Eliminator is it doesn't have 17-inch wheels. Can you tell me a little bit, a bit about the wheels and tyres? No,
1: it doesn't have the, the usual 17-inch. It has an 18-inch wheel at the front and a 16-inch wheel at the back. And that also helps with the look. It gives it that sleek look as the front sort of... Smooths down to the back.
0: Yes, it it, basically the smaller rear wheel makes the tire look fatter. So you've got that sort of fat cruiser tire look at the rear and and the sort of the larger front wheel gives it that slightly stretched you know, very slightly hinting at the the chopper kind of style. Which is which is very cool. It looks cool. It does limit tire sizes a little bit, you know, tire choice when it's time to renew tires. But you know, you can always find, find those tyres. But it did, it helped with the looks, it really did. It, it had that slightly raked out look and that cruiser look. So overall, what was your impression, impression of the Eliminator then?
1: I'm very enthusiastic about it. It had the, a lot of retro styling going on, but it still looks super cool because it has a trellis frame, which sort of, you know, gives it a nice... Uh, right, I'm going to clash with my modern and retro here, but it kind of gives it a modern look, so it looks really, right. you know, as though you're on a modern machine, but you've got all the nods to the retro look. All in all, I'd say it's it's a great bike. You've got plenty of rake. You've got low seat height. It weighs under four hundred pounds, and uh, if you buy the basic one, it's six thousand six hundred forty nine.
0: So it comes in at a good price.
1: Yeah, and it just looks amazing
0: excellent yeah it's a definite head turner it's inexpensive great starter bike and i think it'll take a while for people to grow out of it so even as people develop in confidence and develop their skills they're not going to just suddenly find themselves riding this underpowered horrible little bike
1: yes yeah i would say so it fits into the market nicely because uh i think if you know anyone who wants to learn to ride or if you are a beginner yourself it's always better if you pushes over a little bit.
0: I agree. Terrific. Thank you so much.
1: All right. See you again soon.
0: In the second segment, TJ chats with Dale Schmidgen. Dale has been around racing and the motorcycle industry for several decades now, and he has the inside track on some pretty interesting stuff. He recently moved to Thailand for work, but has clearly fallen in love with the country and its people. Sure, we've all heard stories about the bars and the night spots and the amazing beaches, but there's a lot more to Thailand than just that. The motorcycle culture, and especially racing, is absolutely enormous in Thailand, and Dale's stories about the country and its sights make the place sound very appealing indeed.
2: I work for a... I well, actually worked for one of the sidecar guys that I used to uh, do tyres for in the nineties, David uh, David James, and he uh, he actually won three world sidecar championships um, in the nineties, and uh, yeah, he had a great career with Ducati after that as the international marketing manager and then currently and other other ventures, uh, but he started his own marketing and communications company here in Thailand. And I was over here at the start of the year. Uh, Riding around on a 160 cc scooter all over thailand and uh anyway while i was here he he threw, threw me a, an offer and uh he said what well, how does that sound and you know uh, so anyway here i am so obviously the, the the offer was okay um but yeah the racing here it's it reminds me of racing in the 80s and the 90s to be honest uh a lot of the a lot of the championships around around the world seem to be running out of money and there just seems to be you know Everyone's happy for trophies, and and I don't know how they pay for it all. To be honest, the costs are astronomical to even be a club racer these days. Yes. There's bike sales. Coming back to what I was saying with India and China, bike sales for for Thailand are incredible. There's um, probably 76 million people live in the country. Uh, There would be something like about 25 to 30 million motorcycles on the road here. Uh, yeah, a high
1: percentage of the population do ride.
2: Massive, massive. I mean, there's no demographic. Everyone rides a bike. Old ladies, uh, you know, guys going to work. Uh, me, <laughs> just everyone rides bikes, and uh, uh, so there's there's no stigma against motorcycling. It's a, it's a transport, and then the the tire factories. I mean, every single manufacturer you can think of has a factory here. Harley uh, makes the soft tails and the, uh, sports that probably don't want people to know that, but they, they come out of the, the, the Thailand factory. Uh, Ducati make everything besides the super Laguera at the Thailand factory. Um, Tile uh, Ducati have a 450 motocross bike that no not heard of, uh, coming out soon. Uh, that will also be probably coming out of here as well. Triumph have got three factories and almost certainly their motocross bikes will be made here. Uh, Suzuki, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Honda all have massive factories here. Uh, BMW have a motorcycle and car factory here. Um uh, it uh, it's it's an incredibly strong scene for everything to do with motorsport and motoring. Um
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's quite a hub that we don't realise.
2: It it the, the news doesn't get out very far at all until, you know, an American or an Australian or an English writer comes across and writes a story about it. But uh Honda and Yamaha are the two big brands, and they they battle um, on the track. They battle off the track. There's something like 1,600 Honda dealers in Thailand. Gosh. Uh, You'll see one Honda dealer from the other Honda dealer that's that close. Uh, There's a lot of scooters get sold here, uh, and that all adds up to a lot of money. Uh, There's a CBR 650 Cup. There's Yamaha Cups. There's Yamaha-only race days. Uh, Every weekend, there's just so much motorsport going on. Next oh. weekend, I'm going to uh, one of those drag race meetings that you've probably seen in the videos where the little 150cc two strokes, you know, they rocket down the, the drag strip and it's just a fun event. And they, they, they win trophies that are taller than the riders in it. Um,
1: yeah, it sounds it, like incredible fun.
2: It is. It, it is. There's just motorsport, motorsport, motorsport here. It's um, And it's all very low level and there is money. Um, Honda and Yamaha are having this rivalry. If you, if you, I was at Buri Ram there a few months ago. If you do one lap on, on your Honda, they'll give you $1,500. <laughs> <So, laughs> I'm in. But yeah, they, they want to fill the grid full of Hondas. So it's a great idea. It's a great idea.
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel I need to come to Thailand and write about it <laughs> and do that lap.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, I'll f- we'll find you a ride somewhere. I'm actually helping a um, uh, an Australian-Japanese rider at, uh, at the moment as well. Uh, he's racing in the All-Japan Championships uh, for Yamaha. And he came out to to Thailand there for that Buriram round. This guy will be a future world champion. Remember this name. He's Tayo Aksu.
1: Tayo Aksu.
2: Tayo Aksu. And he's just such a rare um, blend of, of talent and style. And he's only a young guy. He's only like 16 or 17. But he... Um, He is one. You look at him; he's 100% Japanese. When he opens his mouth, he's 100% Australian. Uh, He's got got this crazy mix that uh, people are going to love him, and he rides really, really well. Uh, But he's he's hoping to to move to to do the Thailand Championships next year, of which there's four different championships here, uh, not including the Asian Road Racing Championships, which is the the, the big regional series here that goes all over the the different countries.
1: I didn't know there were so many opportunities there. I mean, for, for racers, people who grow up with riding in their blood, um, they just want to win. And so they need to get in and they want to get into racing. It's not all yeah. about the great big uh, one MotoGP prize. Um, they just love to race because they have that thing in them to win. Unlike myself, I'm happy to cruise around. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a that it comes with age. You just get to learn to enjoy the ride.
1: <laughs> for sure. <laughs>
2: Oh, in this country, the uh, the, the, the hero is Somkiat Chantra.
1: Yes, he's lovely, isn't he?
2: Yeah, Ayagura and Somkiat Chantra race for the Asian Honda um, talent uh, bike. And I'll tell you what, the, the, every kid here, he, he's been like.
1: Uh, like the Barry Sheen of the 70s in England.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. He's been the inspiration for just about every Thai kid that thinks they can ride a bike to go and have a go. Uh, so this is why they're finding that the. Yeah, you know, with the growing middle class in this country, uh, and that's happening really rapidly too. By the way, uh, people have able to find the bikes they need and the money to buy them. You know, the vast majority of people in Thailand are always going to be, unfortunately, a little poor, but mm-hmm. there is a growing middle class that are buying these nicer cars. You know, the, the Vespa is the uh, third biggest brand in the country, followed by Lambretta. You know, people people don't. You know, as much as they're buying Hondas, they aspire to own something a little bit nicer. Uh, sorry, Honda, but um, interesting, no, but yeah, just
1: a, a different market. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah. And the import duty for, for luxury vehicles in this country could be up to three hundred percent. So, when you see someone on a brand new R One, uh, you know that that's cost them a great deal of money. And it's a I don't know what that equates to in US dollars, but it's it's a massive no, but... purchase. Um,
1: yeah, 300%. That's a huge amount of tax. But, of course, that's to protect the economy of Thailand.
2: It is. It is. I mean, uh, our know, R1s are made in Japan. Uh, they race T-Max 560 you know, Yamahas as well. They're made in Japan. But you know, then there's the X-Max 300 Yamaha scooter. And there's a massive, like, you could buy two of the 300s for the price of one of the 560s because they're made here.
1: Wow. Sounds like they're racing everything.
2: They are racing everything. You're absolutely right. If it's got wheels on it, they're in fact, even if it doesn't have wheels on it, they'll put a propeller or something on it. So
1: so uh, um, typically on the roads in Thailand, you get lower displacement bikes, don't you? You get your, your scooters and what have you. What, what are you riding around yourself?
2: I've, I've got a, uh, it's a bit of a, a beat up uh, rental bike at the moment. It's a, a PCX 150 Honda and, uh, Next month, I intend to buy a brand-new uh, 160 Click, which is probably um, probably one of the more popular bikes throughout the whole region of Southeast Asia. Right. Uh, and again, apologies for the American listeners. I, I don't know what it equates to in US dollars, but I can buy this bike brand-new for 2800 Australian dollars or 63,000 baht. And that includes all the registration, uh, a year's insurance uh, for both the bike and myself. Uh, right away and it's um okay a lot of people turn their noses up at scooters but I tell you what you know I, i'm no small guy and i've I spent, I spent a lot of my life traveling around on scooters over here and um, i think you wouldn't last too long if you had a large capacity motorcycle the roads and the traffic here aren't built for people who want to do 100 miles now
1: so being on a uh, scooter you know. sort of keeps you in check keeps you a bit safer i guess
2: Keeps a bit safer. Um, you, you, you know, maybe not me, but most people would blend in uh, to, to the crowd because you, you wouldn't stand out so much. Um, if you had a large capacity motorcycle, you know, they are, as I've said, very expensive, so you'd you'd have to sleep with one eye open to make sure no one's, you know, fiddling with it. At helping the themselves.
1: <laughs> and, yeah. of course, you'd probably be more limited to the roads that you use because there are a lot of diverse um, cross-country roads that are almost finished in <laughs> thailand
2: yeah yeah no the, the, the roads are improving greatly here as well um but yeah 160 cc scooter i mean that'll that'll do 120 kilometers an hour which is more than fast enough with me on it even um beats all the, all the car traffic off the line and you've got the storage under the under the seat so you can take stuff with you i I spent 41 days uh at the start of the year riding it. A uh, Honda 150 around Thailand. Uh, and I did 6,100 kilometers. and it was, was great. Was this never... a
1: bit of sightseeing to find the lay of the land, as it were? Did you just sort of wing it and find your way around, or did people tell you where to go and see?
2: Uh, I, 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 I did my research and found uh, some of the places I'd been before. Um, and it, look, you can't take a wrong turn in Thailand. You know, if you if you you don't have an agenda, you don't have a uh, uh, a time limit you're not in a hurry, then, you know, Thailand, you can just pick a direction uh, other than the water and <laughs> just go for a ride. And, you know, typically you'll want to find some hills and things to see views. And that's easy to see on Google Maps now. And um, You know, but it was really inexpensive to get around. The, the scooter cost me, gosh, I think about $60 a week uh, to, to rent. Um The petrol was way cheaper than either Australia or the US. So that wasn't a major thing. Uh, And most most hotel rooms are normally about, probably I would say in US dollars, maybe $20 a night.
1: This is a fantastic opportunity to go and see somewhere beautiful um, for not a huge amount of money. um, Because I think most people who go to Thailand just stick to the main towns and do what I call the tourist thing and don't realise what's out there.
2: Yeah, well, Thailand's out there. I mean, if, if you want to, you know, go somewhere and stay in a club bed, I mean, that, that's great. I mean, yeah, everyone, everyone's everyone got their own way of going on holiday. But I think if you go to another country, you'd you probably want to experience the culture and, uh, you know, see, see the real country. You know, there, there, was, uh, there was places I pulled up on the side of the road. And you could see the place was clean and tidy. And there were other people eating there. And, um uh, I could get a bowl of uh, chicken fried rice with a, a with a soup and some pork scratchings and a and a coke, and it would probably cost me around about two dollars fifty. Wow! And yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it did me fine. It was, you know, like it's pretty hard if you, if you want to live like a Thai person to to spend a lot of money.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like proper food. It's not sort of full of additives. Beautiful and food. What have
2: you. No, like I mean, some of the additives cost a lot of money, so. The, they'll make it with the least amount of ingredients for the most amount of flavour. And uh, it, yeah, Thai food's just beautiful.
1: So what's the uh, event that happens over in Thailand? In I think it's the beginning of the year you were talking about.
2: I mean, every country's got its own Veterans Day or Remembrance Day. And for Australia, it's called uh, ANZAC Day, A-N-Z-A-C, which st- stands for the Australian New Zealand Armoured Corps. Um so on sorry, April the twenty fifth every year, which is the day that they landed at Gallipoli in the First World War, uh, we have a very sacred ceremony with a dawn, uh, you know, like a dawn ceremony uh, to remember the fall and in all the wars, yeah, uh, you know, particularly the Australians and New Zealanders, because that's you know the core of it.
1: Yes, a lot of lives lost.
2: Yeah, and that coming back to that book that I I recommended earlier that I wrote. Um, it's called the Hellfire Pass uh, Curse and it's about Hellfire Pass um, it, the, the Burma Railway was just one of those things when I found out about it it, it, it really you know, somehow or other uh, touched my soul that I really needed to find out more you know, 120,000 people died building the, the Burma Railway oh, and it was grief. just the most horrific stories uh, the most barbarism of the, their captors and it, uh, where the Hellfire Pass is, is um, it's only about 200 kilometres outside of Bangkok, and it's a pass that was cut through solid rock, you know, with the most blunt and basic tools, and um, the wire got named Hellfires, because they were working on this thing for 18 hours a day, and it looked like at night time like the gates of hell.
1: Oh, wow, good grief.
2: Yeah, so all of the, uh, the 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 small fires that they you know were hanging from the lamps down the side, it looked like you know the, the gateway to hell, and they could called the hellfire pass. Yeah, so as often as I can, I do a, a scooter ride, um, you know, with uh, friends from Australia. You know, and they meet me in Thailand, and you know, we ride up there and do the dawn service on on the 25th of April, and um, you know the the. The US ambassador comes out for it, the New Zealand ambassador. It's a pretty big event.
1: So this is out of Bangkok. How, how far is the ride, did you say? A couple of hundred kilometres.
2: Yeah, look, from Bangkok, you'd head north uh, northwest. Uh, there's a town called Kanchanaburi, uh, starting with a K. And from there, it's another 70 kilometres, 140 kilometres from Bangkok to Kanchanaburi, then another 70 k- Ks to uh, Hellfire Pass. You know, it probably needs no more advertising because a lot of people turn up every year. I, I went last year in the middle of COVID. Mm. It was that. It was that. Uh, it was that period of time still, and uh, it, even still, there was two thousand people there. It was. It's a beautiful ceremony. It's it, it's it's held in the middle of the dry season, so it it never rains. You watch the sun come up over the over the jungle and the birds making their calls and the monkeys and and whatever, and it's just you know. Now, very, very peaceful and beautiful area, but um.
1: But back when it was being built, it it was horrendous,
2: horrendous, the worst, worst humanity uh, you could ever imagine. It was just horrific. But uh, so, who
1: who was doing the building? Who were the one hundred and twenty thousand who passed?
2: Okay, when 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 Singapore fell uh, in nineteen forty two, you know they had lots and lots of prisoners and uh, lots of Dutch lots of New Zealanders Australians some Americans some Canadians lots of British um, and they were all trucked it was a three oh, sorry they were all railed up to a railway station called ban pong in Thailand all the way from Singapore uh, it was a three-day journey and it was again that was the start of the horror you know it was 50 degrees Celsius plus in the back of these these um, railway wagons and if you happen to make it, uh, without dying, then you would be put onto the railway.
1: Yeah, that's up in the hundreds, Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's just... And they're, so these were all prisoners of war?
2: Prisoners of war, uh, treated like, um, you know, just like nothing. They were, they were just, you know, they're t- the for the emperor building the, this railway.
1: Used, and obviously a lot of them died just doing that.
2: Yeah, look, it's a horror story. And you know? I mean, I don't really, you know, people are very sensitive with things these days, so I really don't want to get into all the details. But
1: Well, talking about these things is, is often the only way to keep that sort of memory alive, i.e. pass it on to the younger generation who would not otherwise come yeah. across it. So a lot of people listening will hear about this for the first time, although obviously we are sensitive to people whose relatives, people who are still with us, whose relatives, parents would have been in that situation.
2: Oh, look, if if... Any of the listeners ever go? I, I just ask them to spend an hour or so going through the uh, the war cemetery uh, in the centre of town. Um, it's quite a quite a moving experience. There's, you know, like, again, I won't uh, go into details there either. But it, it was just you, you'll see how barbaric human, humans can be to each other.
1: Mm. Sickening.
2: Anyway, so was, I was going to say the most important lesson out of all of it is what uh, is what. You know, we've got the Return Services League in Australia, and they always say at the end of every game, "It's like lest we forget." And if we do forget, it'll happen again. So that's all I can say is lest we forget. Yeah, so the, yeah. le- the lessons have been learned, and they need to be relearned, so they don't get repeated. So mm,
1: and not forgotten.
2: They're not forgotten ever. So anyway, that's the sad. That's the most sad little story. But it's it's a beautiful part of the world when you when you go and see it now. If you've heard. You're a motorcycle rider, and I know you all are. Uh, what an amazing part of the world to go riding. I mean, again. Yeah,
1: that's a good thing to aim for. You
2: can't take a wrong turn. You'll see thousand-year-old ruins. You'll see valleys. You'll see caves. You'll see there's a suspension bridge there just behind Hellfire Pass that I love to ride across, uh, across the River Kwai. Um, right. And it's, uh, you know, there's, there's nobody there. It's the, the locals just use it to get across the river. <laughs> but you can't drive a car across it. You, you either walk or you ride a motorcycle. So I, don't, I don't know which one I did. So, um, and it's 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 a fabulous, uh, fabulous you know scenic area.
1: I love to hear about quirky things like that.
2: There is a lot of quirky things in that area. There's a um one of the the, the uh, more famous Australian uh, doctors from World War II who worked on these these uh, railway camps. I got a guy called Weary Dunlop. He um, uh, he had his ashes sprinkled on, uh, into the river there only 20, 30 years ago now when he died. But uh, uh, one of the local Thai guys up the road uh, met him somewhere in one of his pilgrimages and uh, donated 40 acres uh, to create the weary Dunlop Peace Park. And, you know, you go down right. and there's no, there's no signs on the road. you really got to know it's there to, to find the place. And it's quite a, it's quite a trek to get down to. They've got an entire train down there, and I have no idea how they got the train down there. Oh, <laughs> so, how amazing! That, you know, that, but that's Thailand. You know, you, you, you expect the unexpected. You know, you go around a corner, and you just think, man, there'll be a plane sitting there." And it's like, "How did you get that plane there?" Um, You know, there's in this case, it's it's a train. So, um, oh, awesome. Yeah, and and it's a, it's an exciting country. As I say, you can't go wrong. Um, there's very few things that'll eat you in the jungle. So it's pretty. I didn't safe. Even consider
1: that. Well, I lived in Australia for 15 years, so I got over that one quite quickly. But yeah, people are often scared of what's going to bite them.
2: I, I wouldn't recommend camping. Um, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, the elephants tend to stand on you. But, yeah, but um, nah, no, look, it's it's a great country. It's, it's, Is that it's true?
1: Shooters. The elephants stand on you.
2: Oh, look at it, every every week. There's you know, there's still wild elephants, um, and uh, they get pretty. Pretty testy. So uh, when they uh, when they've got their um, you know their mood on, gosh, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of the rubber farmers, um, you know, the, the elephants will go through. The, the The farmer will try to scare them away from his rubber trees. The next thing you know, they find him the next day. Is he's a little bit you know worse for wear or dead?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they're big animals, and if they're they're not thinking about where they're treading.
2: No, no, they're, they're and they've got tusks and things and um, they're they're pretty they're pretty effective at uh, getting their way. I don't recommend camping, uh, and why would you? I mean, you can get a hotel room here for yeah, uh, you can stay at a hostel here for five dollars.
1: You can stay in lots of people open their homes, don't they? You can uh, stay. There's with them everything quite easily.
2: Everyone here, uh, like they all want to make a little bit more money than they're doing now, and so they'll the average, the average wage here is three hundred and fifty baht per day. That's the minimum, Sorry, that's the minimum wage. It's yeah, 350 baht. Again, I, so I'm going to have to convert everything back to Australian dollars, which I think is about 0. 0.75 or 0. 0.7 of a US dollar. Which is
1: probably, a, but, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh,
2: 100 baht is $4 Australian.
1: And so if somebody offers you dinner and you just give them, you know, a dollar or two, they're going to be...
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and like, you don't need to tip. I mean, I know that's going to sound very un-American, um, you don't need to tip. Um, I, the most tipping I think I do is um, you leave a few coins, you know, because I don't want to carry coins around. So if, if I've got 15 or 20 baht worth of coins, you know, I'll just leave it on the table. But to mm. to them, when the, when, when the meals cost 80 baht, and you're leaving another 25%. Uh, they are more than happy. They don't expect it. Uh, you're, you're now the most important person of the day, blah, blah, blah. So...
1: That's the thing about when you travel is finding these different um habits. Uh, I had to learn to tip <laughs> coming to America because no other country tips like the Americans do.
2: And again, I mean I don't mind giving someone a little little bit more if you if you've received really good service, but it, you know when it's demanded or expected mm. uh, that, that's when I have a problem.
1: Mm. Well, it's just the way it is here because the people don't earn what they earn in other countries
2: mm, that's a shame when you
1: go out for a meal etc so it's just expected that you tip i understand it anyway let's hear about you did mention another fun little anecdote story about the pudding that's being yes. <laughs> carted around on on the back of motorcycles the pudding as in dessert
2: <laughs> yeah th- th- this is one of those uh, tinned puddings uh, like a christmas pudding that uh, i know they were popular in the uk and certainly they're popular in australia and if I met, if I go if I go out and live, I think it's uh, by Frey Bentos. Or, but anyway, <laughs> That's a, a good old a name. Pudding. Yeah. So nineteen. Uh, um, if if anyone's listening, it it's part of this. Um, please just forgive me. I'm probably going to make a mistake or two. But
1: you know, there are thousands of people listening.
2: Oh my mum. Um. Okay. Okay. It, it's it's Australia's a big place. Um, two friends uh, met in 1976, one road from Perth, one road from Adelaide. I mean, we're talking a distance of, you know, 2,000 miles.
1: This is probably a six-hour flight for us people these days.
2: <laughs> yeah, so so they both rode their bikes to meet at the, at the state border to uh, just, whatever, shake hands, wish each other a Merry Christmas or something. And the uh, one of them had bought a, uh, this, this pudding. And, you know, I think beer's got in the way or, a bottle of rum got in the way or something got in the way and, and the pudding was never eaten and it and got returned and so anyway it was a laughing point so next year 1977 they did the same thing bought the, the same pudding and <laughs> something something similar happened it, it, it never got eaten so anyway this 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 pudding uh, became a bit of a uh, joke for these people um you know like they always talked about the pudding and it's since evolved in like it's nearly 50 years now so it, My friend John Davis just uh, uh, put in a winning bid at an auction to carry the pudding on his motorcycle in 2023. So people um, donate money to the Royal Flying Doctor Service in Australia uh, with the intention of outbidding everyone else and then getting the privilege of carrying this pudding around. Uh, And, you know, it's like one of those uh, strange things where people... Well, here, I am. And I'm with the pudding, so they'll be on top of a mountain, or at a special cafe, or or a landmark somewhere. So they get they become the custodian of this this pudding. And this
1: is the same pudding. This pudding has done thousands of miles, kilometers, hundreds
2: of thousands of miles. Uh, it's been it's been it's been on the move since 1977. <laughs> um, the the pudding tin, I believe, has started to come apart. So, some years ago, someone encased the entire thing in a clear resin. So it's just to contain it.
1: Uh-huh. Aha, good idea. Yeah,
2: so it should last for generations more. So the the pudding story will keep going, but it's just it's just such a fantastic focus to uh, you know instead of just giving money to the Royal Flying Doctors, which is yeah a very worthy thing in itself.
1: Well, yes, the Royal Flying Doctors. They're um just for those that don't know, they're a, a non profit organisation that reach remote areas. Australia has vast. Well, amounts of remote areas.
2: <laughs> lots and lots of remote areas.
1: Yeah, emergency and and regular maintenance. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's healthcare.
2: Two two things that you know probably uh, segueing again, but the uh, there's two things that exist in Australia. There's the School of the Air and there's the Royal Flying Doctors. So back in you know, uh, John Flynn started the Royal Flying Doctors in 1928, and it was for as you say, non profit. It was to help sick people. So if you were on a, a sheep station, you know, hundreds of miles from from the nearest sheep station and you're giving birth or you've broken your leg or bitten by a snake or whatever it was that you needed help for, um, you could get on your your radio and call the Royal Flying Doctor and they would organise a plane and a doctor and a nurse to come out and transport you to a proper hospital if they couldn't fix you. And
1: All voluntary.
2: It's all, vo- uh, it's all voluntary, yeah. And you know, so wow. so they've been doing that service now since since 1928, um, and that went hand in hand with the the, uh, the school of the air, where you know, again, if you are a young person, you, you were on that same sheep station, and you know, there was no school, you still need to learn your, your arithmetic and your, your your times tables and your your spelling, etc., and you know, learn about the exotic, you know, Melbourne or Sydney that was all that distance away, so that you, there was school by the radio, um, which, uh, you know, again, it's a very unique concept, and it still exists today, I believe.
1: Really? Well, that's news to me. Yeah.
2: It's, 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 uh, oh, it's just some of those unique Australian things.
1: Yeah, and things that are going on that you don't realise unless you hear about it.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, to be honest, I, I've got to admit that I hadn't heard of the pudding until very, very recently.
1: So where do they auction the pudding? Where does that happen?
2: It's online. Um, if you go on onto facebook uh, that's the best place to start have a look at pudding log as in p-u-d-d-i-n-g separate word l-o-g
1: all oh, right we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can have a nosy at it
2: and yeah it's a uh, you can see where the pudding is today and who's got cust- you know, custody of it and where the pudding's been <laughs> and so no, i mean the, the the actual history of the pudding i believe is there's a few holes in the story um uh, this r- records have been lost, etc. But it, it is genuinely the same pudding, and it's been everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you wish you <laughs> you you wish you could travel as far as this pudding. It's just, yeah, it, it, it's um. It, I don't think it's travelled overseas. Um, I'm not sure if you'd be able to, to bring it back in.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be able to go back into Australia. They're very fussy about things like that. <laughs> they
2: are. They are. They are. They, and, and there's some. Uh, yeah, the laws are there for a good reason, but sometimes they take them a bit too far. There was um okay another segue. There was a there was a pet bird uh, flew out of someone's cage in in Perth, landed on a cruise ship. The cruise ship, you know, it, it sat there on the cruise ship for the entire um, cruise. Went to Indonesia, and because there's various diseases in Indonesia that don't exist in Australia, uh, they wouldn't let it back in, even though it was an Australian bird. And he, <laughs> like why does it just fly back you know like birds fly birds fly in all the time but no no because they'd heard that it'd been to indonesia they wouldn't let they wouldn't let this bird back in so
1: okay I, I can understand both those statements like i could i can understand why it wouldn't be allowed back in because australia has had some disasters that have been accidentally imported um disease-wise animal-wise but as you say why why didn't the bird just fly back in
2: I don't, I don't know. So it, fa- it found a home apparently with someone in Indonesia, which uh, it's, it's living a happy life. So
1: that's good to hear. Once birds have been caged, I don't think they're good at getting back into the wilds. But I'd rather nobody kept birds as pets mm-hmm. or any wildlife.
2: Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. It's um, yeah, it's not. It's pretty hard to keep. Um, oh, look, you see elephants over here, which. It's just it's a bit sad you know elephants should be out roaming wild and when you when you see people chaining them up for photos I mean, uh please if you come to Thailand don't support that you know don't get your photo taken with a chained monkey or a chained elephant
1: anywhere photos with wild life they're normally just stolen when they're tiny babies and drugged for their whole life for the photos so
2: yeah um. yeah no there's there's um you, know, you can see some tiger parks like that as well which Oh gosh, you know all I can say is there's, there are there are alternatives. Do your research. You don't need to support these people.
1: So, um, for your future, Thailand is uh is going to be home for some years. Do you think?
2: Uh, that's the plan. That is the plan.
1: Sounds like you're enjoying it.
2: Well, it it, it you know you ask any of the expats that are here, and you say why why are you here? Because I've been. It's quite an effort to uh, actually settle here. You know, it's not not that super easy just to get off the plane and. Know, get a work visa and a work permit and other things.
1: Mm. Well, you had an offer that drew you over there.
2: Yes, um, it, you know it. I'm I'm not trying to say it's it's ultra hard, but it's it's not just to you know you pay a fee and start building a house the next day. But why do people come here? And you know, my boss, for instance, was asked this last uh, last year, and it was like he said, "It reminded him of of, of London uh, or the UK in the '70s." it was just a lot freer. You know, you're allowed to kind of do what you like so long as it doesn't upset anyone else. Um, and the word Thailand, it actually translates to the land of the free man. Uh, and it's it's still a philosophy here that, uh, you know, you kind of can do whatever you like so long as it doesn't impact on any, anyone else. Um, there, there isn't cameras everywhere taking a photo. There isn't uh, people observing you or filming you you know trying to you know be that karen or whatever it's it's, it, it's just pe- people are just friendly happy smiley they, they get on with life they realize they're never going to be anyone famous or be millionaires and then there's no point worrying about it you just go and enjoy what you do and have the best life you can
1: You get treated well by the locals, as it were, even though you're a...
2: Yeah, yeah, Like like, uh, I think in a lot of areas we get tolerated. Am
1: I allowed to say foreigner? I don't know these days. Oh, (laughs) the
2: the, the word's farang.
1: Farang? Farang. (laughs) You're faranging around.
2: We get called farangs and, uh, uh, yeah, look, we get treated pretty well, but in some areas I think they tolerate us. Um, But uh, you, you, you tend to get treated how you treat other people too, so... You know, that's find, the thing. Yeah, I find if you you, you, know, you say hello and goodbye and thank you and everything in Thai, um, they treat you quite well.
1: It's exciting to hear about the racing you were saying a bit earlier, and I probably cut you off because I talk a lot about how the racing is like it was back in the seventies. So you can probably get out there and race yourself.
2: Absolutely. I, I mean, the the drag racing, for instance. I mean, that's uh, you got to see it to believe it. Next weekend is a very big drag race meaning... Um, and people come from all all over. There, there's this series is in Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Indonesia. Uh, people build these most beautiful 150cc two strokes and and four strokes. Um, they spend a lot of money on their bike, and they spend no money on safety gear. So <laughs> <It's like, laughs> you'll see them. They'll be out there in flip flops. They'll be out there in in jeans, uh, short sleeve shirt. You could actually ride it without a helmet on some days if you wanted to, which would be crazy. Uh, so they wear these helmets that are just like a plastic bucket. Um, and look, nothing goes wrong. Nothing, there's never a problem. There's never an issue. No one gets hurt. You know, No one was harmed in the, the filming of this episode. It just a lot of people come together. They have a fantastic day. Massive trophies at the end of it. I'm assuming some money for the winner. Um Lots of sponsorship for these for these uh, guys as well, um, wow. and then and then they do it again two weeks later. Uh, it's it's just fun, you know. There's not everyone telling you you can't do this, you can't do that. It's going to cost you twenty grand before you start. Um, you, you can buy one of these one of these uh, drag bikes, like a, a, a used one, for probably a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars.
1: So when you turn up to to watch, you get sort of all access. You can wander around and see what people have been doing to their
2: no problem at all. You know, you, you can stand anywhere besides on the track. <laughs> so uh, I'll be posting some photos from next weekend, assuming it doesn't rain. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a great scene. But that's just a, it's just atypical that the road racing is pretty much the same. You, you know, I've yet to pay other than, uh, for the Grand Prix. I don't think I've, I've paid to get a race into a race meeting yet. Um, the level of, of, of some of the road races really, really high, um, But you can yeah, you can go into pit bays, you can walk around, you can, you know, just you keep out of out of everyone's way, and you can kind of go wherever, wherever you like.
1: And you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot about a lot of different motorcycles by the sounds of it.
2: Yeah, well, well okay, well, there, there's another fantastic thing. Yamaha here are very, very strong at teaching kids about motorcycles.
1: Wow, that's great. So they
2: they got a, a, a a really strong series here on R3 Yamaha's. And it's not just teaching them how to ride, it's teaching them how to prepare their gear. Uh, like the, I was watching the, uh, this is the third round of a four round series. They would, you know, one of the sponsors was Alpine Star. So they're all wearing Alpine Star leathers. They got taught how to prepare the leathers, you know, how to keep them clean, etc. And there was a, a brand of helmet uh, which is only sold in, in Thailand uh, called Bill Moller. Uh, but it was nothing that they had the Bill Moller guy there showing them how to change a visor, just simple things, you know. And but for every, every rider, there was a mechanic. So there was a mechanic wow, learning his trade. So they had had a mechanic school there as well. Um, so the Thailand's building riders. They're building set championships. They're building people. They're, they're doing everything right um, to create a fun professional scene in, in road racing
1: Fun um, learning environment. Well, it sounds like some safety gear there with Alpine stars.
2: Being yeah. Involved. Yeah. No, well, with the Alpine stars, um, Yamaha. Yeah. Alpine stars are pretty big in this, in this, this part of the world as well. Um, every single brand you can think of is here. Plus other brands that, you, that we wouldn't have heard of, um, so and there's money. The there people people get paid to wear the gear, use the gear, display the gear. You know, there's um, kushitani are very big in this part of the world too. You know, that, that's you're talking the best leathers in the world. And uh, yes, yeah. And there's there's teams of of people, all with two or three kushitani suits each. Uh, Gosh! Yeah, like, you know,
1: I thought I was lucky to have one.
2: It's it's not an inexpensive brand. No. Um, but again, again, it highlights the fact that the uh, Kushitani see value in the series, and sure, there are people are people here with uh, with access to to good funds to be able to go racing, and there's a, there there is rewards if you do well. So.
1: Fascinating place. There's lots to dip in and out of motorcycle wise. There are lots happening.
2: There's no shortage of manufacturing going on here. Helmets, shark helmets are made here in Thailand. Uh, You know, the the amount of boots and tyres and and leathers and spark plugs and you name it, Um, there's multiple brands of it made here in Thailand.
1: Interesting. That's a real eye-opener.
2: Yeah, indeed. One of the other companies that we promote is uh, the Ducati Tours out of Chiang Mai, and uh, it's actually run by an American uh, who lives, uh, I think, up in Oregon, uh, Kevin. Anyway, we do all of the CRM and the bookings and the and the marketing and communication for Dart Tours, D A R T out at Chiang Mai. They they are the least expensive tours you'll ever see, uh, and we are absolutely close to booked out.
1: That's marvellous, yeah.
2: If you ever wanted to do a six a six star tour, uh, Dart is the closest thing you'll see.
1: Excellent, yeah. That sounds like there's a lot going on there.
2: And there's just no shortage of that sort of thing happening. There's so much motocross goes on here. There's so much enduro racing. Um, you know, there's a rally uh, started from the, the Walking Street in Patio there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that you know, there, there were guys rode from Vietnam to start in, but that went across Cambodia and finished in Laos. Um, you know, there's, there's just every sort of motorsport you can think of goes on here. I'd love to. I'd love to see uh, more of. Thailand, but I've never, I haven't seen much of Cambodia, and I've never seen anything of Laos yet.
1: Sounds like you will be there for a while. <laughs>
2: uh, all I need is a good bike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying very hard to get CF Moto um, established here, as a, I, keep asking the uh, the factory, you know, how come you don't have a bike imported of Thailand? Um, they they made the mistake some years back, when they started. In a lot of these countries, Australia was the same. They had a separate importer for ATV and a separate importer for motorcycles. And most of the most of those situations have been fixed. But here we are in Thailand, where the ATVs are going really, really well, and there's not a single motorcycle on sale.
1: No CF Moto motorcycle. Now you did ride and really enjoy your your CF Moto in Australia.
2: It so oh, was a dream. What a dream. Uh, the CF Moto 800 MT with the uh, 790 KTM motor was absolutely awesome. Uh, you
1: put some miles on that, didn't you, around Australia?
2: Not enough, not enough. I, I, when I sold it, it—you it, um, know it was just really starting to enjoy it. I mean, it was just one of those bikes you look forward to riding. You love being on it. Everything—it was just—it's one of the nicest motorcycles of I've, I've have well, had ever. Um, and
1: they are—they aren't getting bigger and bigger here in the usa they Passive. are yeah they are definitely picking up i'm looks, on um, lots of ladies riders groups as you can imagine and uh they're really quite popular um the draw is is the price to start with they are so inexpensive but you're getting the quality design. i mean oh, they're made it. in the same factories as other quality machines it's kdm, jeans. It's KDM. i don't know if we were allowed to say <laughs>
2: No, 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 definitely the the, the connection between C F Moto and KDM is strong. Um uh, KDM, uh ready to race or R 2 R and I think could be wrong here. It's it's the minority share of CFMoto. Um but they're their factories across the road from the CF Moto factory. CF Moto have now invested a few percent into Piero mobility as well, which is good. Um, and the big announcement of two days ago is that CF Moto and Yamaha have now linked up. Oh, really? China, yeah. So um, they've they've set it setting uh, a factory up in Chongqing, which again is another funny name that no one's ever heard of. But this thirty something million people live in Chongqing, um, and that's where the big SEMA show for China happens every year. CIA, not not the SEMA for for Vegas. Right. Um, China Industry Motorcycle Association or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so they've just w- done a 50% joint venture with Yamaha for you know, making Yamahas in, in, for the Chinese market. So it's it's a brand... Look, you'd have to have a massive anti-Chinese sentiment to say, I'm never going to buy a CF photo. They're just incredible value. you know. And, and, and there's a guy that used to have to sell them. I can tell you it was a really easy convert you know, you're talking to someone that absolutely hates China, and you go, "Why? Oh, because I do. But why? Yeah, you know, can you tell me why you hate China? Uh, you know, it comes down to some st- stupid personal stuff. Um, it was like, hang on a tick. You know, you know, if you're an Australian or an American or a British person, you know, uh, China's never invaded. Us. <laughs> yeah. China's never done ni- China's never done anything. Well. well, you you buy a BMW or a Kawasaki. I mean, or, or you know, like these these countries, you know. I can understand some bias towards that, but we've forgotten about all that. No one worries about it anymore. Why are you so concerned with China? And they're typing away on their phone and the or, or the the, the keyboard and, and trying to tell you all the reasons why that they don't like China. And you just remind them that the phone and the keyboard you're typing on are made in China. And I and I promise you, if you stopped and had a look at your underwear, that's also made in China. So <laughs> just get over it. It's a motorcycle. It's a motorcycle. It's a motorcycle. As yeah, you know, I, I used to sell I, I, I used to sell Rough me. Superior. Oh yes, I used to sell Bruff Superior, and that had Chinese parts on it. You can't no. get away from it. Um, Everything comes from China. No, just get over it, bike. It.
1: There are less and less people who've got that sort of unfounded um, thing in their head about uh, buying Chinese sure. products. But um,
2: for sure,
1: I think you you That's get you certainly get a really good motorcycle from. As I say, I've been speaking to people here who are riding the CF Motors now.
2: Oh, look, and I've got the um, the insight of seeing how how the industry works on a global scale. You know, when again, when you come across the people that just oh I don't like Chinese stuff, it's like okay, <laughs> you know and they're on a BMW F900R. Um, you, you do realise that bike came out of China, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh yeah, or, or they're on a Ducati, and uh, okay, I mean that for a lot of years, uh, a lot of recent years, the engine casings for Ducatis were made in China. So, what? So, what? You know, it's just that's where they're made. A lot of Harley frames are made in Vietnam. They don't want anyone to know that. MV Augusta frames are made in Vietnam. You know, the wheels are made in Taiwan. Just get over it. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, get over it. <laughs> get over it. I mean, the the, the frame for your bike, your, your MV Augusta, came out of Vietnam, I promise you.
1: Well, I'm very proud of it. Whoever made it,
2: thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> and they make great frames, and there's no problem with it. Um, oh, so anyway. absolutely! So uh, who, who cares where it's from, as so long as it's great. That's and right. Works.
1: It's all uh, employing people and making the world go round. As far as I'm concerned.
2: Indeed. Yeah.
1: Indeed. Well, it's been great. I've heard, I've heard a lot of things that um, are new <laughs> to me today.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's uh, it's the hardest thing is getting me to stop talking. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it keeps segueing off into different different things. But anyway, so, uh, it's, it's been good catching up as well. It's yeah, been... Well,
1: you've been in motorcycles all your life. so And that's what happens when you chat. One thing leads to another. that's what, well, presumably people like to listen. We do have thousands of listeners and uh, we do get some feedback. And uh, it, I think it is because that... we're a bit off the wall.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, motorcyclists are risk takers. And, you know, we like to take risks and, you know, um, that's I think that's what life's all about. You got to take your risks. You got to you know assess it whether it's uh, you know likely to happen or not. And if you think it's going to happen, then give it a try.
1: That's right. It's all about experience.
2: Indeed. And, and there's so much going on in the bike world right now. I mean, I only know just a teeny little part of it. Um, <laughs> but you're an important I'm part. It's it. all
1: these little bits that building um, up into
2: it. the. Yeah. Yeah. No. You're right. No, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I've signed an NDA, so I can't say anything more on, on another brand. Um, but there's another American brand uh, with global expansion plans at the moment as well, which um, we're helping them out at the moment as, as well. Uh, there's just so, it, you know, It's every day. Well, that's a bit of a tease. I thought you were industry. going
1: to give me something there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, it's. Uh, I won't even tell you if it's uh, what sort of bike it is, but. Uh, once, once, uh, yeah, once I'm able to say something, I will. Um, but yeah, look, there's just so much going on at the moment. I think the motorcycle industry's got to be one of the most exciting, uh, places you, you could want to spend your time. I just wish it was one of the most profitable. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> well, um, it's all about fun really. So I just feel really yeah, um, yeah. grateful that I'm involved in the world of motorcycles because everybody I meet is so nice and it's a healthy outdoor sport.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We love it. You know, we, yeah, that's a, uh, couldn't imagine doing anything else. You know, look, like, you know, we've met through motorcycling amount exactly. of, of good people. We, we uh, you know, we all met through riding our bikes and going to interesting places and having fun times and, you know, just about, you know, maybe I'm a bit narrow uh, focused, but just about every single person I'd class as a friend is someone I've met on a bike. And yes, it's it's it, you know, it's a, it's a, you know I've, had, I've had friendships that have lasted 40 years.
1: Yes, it's quite strange to think that there are some people who are not involved in any way with motorcycles. There are those <laughs> people, you know,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about them, I've heard about them.
1: <laughs> anyway, hopefully, we'll. Uh get something together i feel the urge to come to thailand and encourage everybody that's listening to to have a look and give it a go and uh so we'll see you on the road
2: i look forward to it thank you